Hello and welcome to the Anima Cafe podcast, a chance to hear the recording of our latest cafe, sharpening your skills around justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. My name is Shaquille Chaudhry, and I'm co-founder of Anima Leadership and author of the new book, Deep Diversity, a Compassionate Scientific Approach to Achieving Racial Justice. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm delighted to be in a fireside chat today with Adam Kahane, who is the author of Facilitating Breakthrough, How to Remove Obstacles, Bridge Difference, and Move Forward Together. I'm gonna to do a more formal introduction in a moment. First of all, I wanna start by acknowledging that our organization, Anima Leadership, is based here in Toronto, which is the traditional territories of many uh, Indigenous groups, including the Anishinaabe, the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, more recently the Métis and Inuit peoples, and specifically we'd like to recognize the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation, and we honour their people, their ancestors, and their spirits as stewards of this land. <sighs> So I invite you, and I know a number of people have already done this, if, if you are aware of the, of the traditional territories that you are uh, tuning in from, uh, please put that into chat. Very important that we do what we can to amplify uh, Indigenous voices, territories, and ideas um, as much as possible. So uh, what I want to do is welcome all of you from all the different borders and time zones that you're you're, you're tuning in from. I know that we, we will have in our audience organizational leaders. We will have educators and trainers. Uh, we will have, uh, of course, facilitators, because today we're really going to be talking about facilitation. Uh, and you don't have to be a facilitator to understand the dynamics or want to want to know what's going on inside your organization or outside in the community context. And what are some of the skills that are needed to be able to host and be engaged in conversations that are hot, conversations that are political, conversations that, that are about people from very different sides of the political spectrum of life and life experiences and different identities. And how do you, how do you engage people in these conversations? So I am so honored today to be, um, to be welcoming uh, you, Adam. And uh, so Adam's new book, which um, I don't have a hard copy of because I, I keep all my books here, is um, Facilitating Breakthrough. And the subtitle is How to Remove Obstacles, Bridge Differences, and Move Forward Together. And um, Adam has done so many different things. Uh, um, he's an author, of course, but I know you, Adam, from all the books that I've read of yours that you've written that are really all about the kinds of conflict that happen in zones that range from pre-conflict to post-conflict zones. You've been involved in, in hosting extreme conversations uh, with people literally who are at war with each other, uh, whether that's been um, in the pre-conflict zones like, uh, like South Africa, just as, as the transition from racist apartheid government to a more democratic government, the, uh, from there to um, to post-conflict zones such as Guatemala after the after the genocide in the in the in the late '80s um, and into the '90s, and so so just you know just want to 
really um, honor you for the kinds of things that you've done. I'm so excited that you're here today and to be engaged in this conversation. I'd love for you to say hello. Well, uh, hello. Uh, thank you, Shaquille. Thanks for the invitation. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. I've been reading your book also. I have them both in hard copy. There you go. Including, yeah, including same color we realized just now. There you go. Um, so uh, thank you. Um, I'm enjoying reading your book very much. I think it's a wonderful book, very uh, important and interesting to me. And also um, complementary in the sense that I think we're coming at similar phenomena from different uh, angles. So um, I'm looking forward to the conversation. I, I guess I just say at the outset that it's true that I have worked a lot in these big dramatic settings, uh, including the ones you've mentioned, and we can talk about that if you want. But I'm, but I've often thought that uh, what goes on uh, that. The importance of those stories is I, I've been able to see these um, human dynamics painted in bright colors. Mm -hmm. But the basic argument I'm making in all of my books, including this one, is actually similar dynamics are uh, present in all human dynamics, including not just in extraordinary, but in ordinary settings. Mm -hmm. um, and that... Uh, Maybe I need them in bright colors or loud noises to be able to, to get it. But once you've seen it, you can also see it in organizations and communities and families. So I wouldn't want people to think, oh, well, if you're not involved in civil war, then this work isn't really relevant. I'm actually arguing the opposite. So I'm thrilled to be in conversation with you and looking forward to it. Great. Thank you so much. Well, that's, I love that you went there because I think that it can feel intimidating. And uh, in fact, I was looking at this and I'm going, oh my gosh, like Adam's got all these, all these extreme conflict experiences and that's not where I come from. And, and then as I read your books and, I, and, and I, because I, you and I've talked, that's the part that's very relieving and that I find very accessible is that you can see the, the micro dynamics in the macro and your tends to be at so much of your experiences at that macro level, but you have the, the gift to be able to break it down so that we can see it in our micro context. And, and that's really relieving, I think, for a lot of us to realize that, that these, these are similar dynamics, but in fact, it, they can be present in many of these elements in our, in our, in our day to day. And uh, just to situate our work, the work we do at Anima, the work that I've been doing for about 25 years that that's related is really my work is in the context of education. Uh, and in the context of education, the work for me is really around racial justice, identity and, and, and uh, social justice kind of context, which means that, uh, that the, we're trying to engage people in conversations that are learning. And I know that um, a, a big frame of your book and books is, is the theme of, of, um, uh, of power, love, and justice. And so I know that, that this resonates for you. And so to have to get people to a point where they can actually go deeper in their understanding, these are hot conversations because it activates inside people really life and death kinds of survival elements, even though it's not conscious, but that's why it's so emotional, why people get so, um, so activated, whether it is around 
boardroom tables or kitchen tables, family or professional context, that that um, big emotions come up. And these emotions uh, are some of the things that I argue are part of what we need to understand. And when we're able to help facilitate people, their understanding, um, uh, and be able to engage with them in a way that's respectful, but also allows them to work with, with their emotional content, um, then breakthroughs are also quite possible. So we, we come at our experiences in ways that are, are quite different. And yet I think that there's a similarity that we see. And so that's why I'm really excited about that. Now for the audience, uh, we're going to be doing a slightly improvised way of doing things because usually at an Anima Cafe, if we have a guest like Adam, well, you know, basically I would ask a number of questions and we'd just be in conversation about Adam's work. However, today we're doing something a little, a little bit different because both our books came out at the same time. So uh, we, we kind of tasked each other with this, with this idea of, well, what about if I read your book, Adam, and you read my book, and we sort of find things that we find interesting and as well as questions and, and be in conversation. So we're going to kind of find our way uh, into this conversation uh, and hopefully that'll be that'll be also part of the part of the facilitation today. Except we don't really have it worked out. We're just gonna kind of go with the flow and see what happens. Is that does that sound good, Adam? Does that uh, yeah, do I miss anything? Sure. Okay. All right. So um, I want to start by saying that this new book that you've got is is very helpful in a lot of different ways. You talk about transformative facilitation, and you. You, you describe transformative facilitation as this fluid movement between what you describe as vertical facilitation and horizontal facilitation. And I think that, I think that you should just start us there by helping us understand what you mean by those terms. Uh, I think intuitively we might find our way to that, but I think it's, it's really useful because this book has provided language that I think is very helpful to leaders and facilitators to know what they are a part of, to notice what might be happening, whether they're leading or they're, they're being led um, and participating in a facilitation process. So why don't you start us there? Okay, um, well, uh, let me just uh, back up a couple of steps because I'm not sure that uh, I think a little bit of background might be helpful. So um, the work that I've been doing uh, for the last 30 years has been um, facilitating diverse groups to work together on their most important and intractable challenges. So when I say diverse groups, sometimes that's groups from within an organization, diverse by level or identity or, um, or uh, function. But my real speciality and the speciality of Rio's Partners, the organization of which I'm a member is facilitating groups where people come from different organizations, usually people from politics and government, from business, from civil society, uh, etc. And so that's, that's my context. And uh, the book is based on my experience. So it's worth saying that about my experience. And uh, that work with these um, highly diverse groups of people uh, usually not in hierarchical relationship with each other, people who are in different sectors and organizations, each with their own um, sphere of influence, uh, their own kind, their own bases of power. 
uh, working together to make progress on something they all care about, whether that's a peaceful transition in South Africa uh, or um, uh, accelerating uh, the deployment of hydrogen uh, to deal with climate change or dealing with the health of First Nations in Manitoba or justice in Syria or insecurity in Mexico or democracy in the United States. What all, all of those all of those contexts have in common is it's a group of people who have chosen to come together to collaborate in order to affect change. Um, so th that's what the, the basic premise of the book is the world needs more and better collaboration and therefore the world needs more and better facilitation. And I'm, I'm, I'm offering a different or an unusual, a bigger definition of the word facilitation uh, to mean not just what you do in a meeting, but everything you do to help a group of people collaborate to affect change, whether that's for days or months or decades. And also that that role uh, can and usually needs to be played, not just by professional facilitators, but by team members or leaders or managers or coaches or consultants or friends. So that that's a bit the background. And the book is uh, offering a, a new theory and practice of facilitation, not a new kind of facilitation. I think I'm describing something that most good facilitators do intuitively, but I'm offering a new way of understanding what it's all about. Okay, so that's <laughs> a bit where I'm coming from. Um, so if you're writing a book about facilitation, uh, you have to start with, well, how is it normally done? And now I'm gonna to come directly to answering your question, which is when I look around at what I see in the world of facilitation, um, the most common kind of facilitation is what I call vertical facilitation. Sorry, let me back up half a sentence because there's a, a clearer way to say this. When you're writing a book about groups, you immediately come to a grammatical uh, challenge that I didn't realize till I was correcting the proofs, which is that the word group in English is both a singular noun and a plural noun. So the group, you can say the group is and the group are. I didn't realize that, but it's true. Um, and so vertical facilitation focuses on the group is. It focuses on the, the unity of the group, the group's task, the group's leader, the group's plan, uh, the group's truth. And um, that's the most common kind of facilitation. That's what most facilitation textbook and trainings deal with. And it's very helpful in a way or in an obvious way that if you're interested in cohesion and coherence, focusing on the singular group gets you there. But if that's all you do, you end up uh, with uh, rigidity and domination. The second kind of facilitation, uh, which is, is also now very well known is the opposite. Say no, I don't, I'm not interested in that or hierarchy of the larger over the smaller, the higher over the lower. Um, on the contrary, what's really crucial is the perspectives, the, the identities, the interests, and the free choice of each member of the group. So that's focusing on the group plural, the group R. And that also has great advantages. Uh, you get diversity, you get agency, um, you get variety, but if that's all you do, you often end up with fragmentation uh, and gridlock. 
And I, I noticed in your writing about your early experience in activist circles, you you recognize that. So we um, so that's the starting point. And whenever you have, uh, or not whenever, but often when you have these two dominant ways, each of which has advantages uh, and shadows, what you're dealing with is not a choice, but a polarity. Mm-hmm. A polarity in the sense that Barry Johnson has written about polarities. It's two things where you can't, it's not a good idea to choose one or the other. Um, I gave a talk a few days ago to a group of uh, people from the International Association of Facilitators, and they said, yes, yes, we often in our meetings have this debate between this way and that way. Which is the better way? Well, Barry Johnson says it's like breathing in and breathing out. You don't have a committee in favor of inhaling, a committee in favor of exhaling. You have to do them both, not at the same time. But and so anyhow, that's the basic argument of the book um, or the one of the ideas in the book is that choosing either vertical or horizontal and most facilitators tend to one or the other is always a bad idea. And if you want to be able to help people move forward together, then you have to Um, employ both of them, not at the same time, but you have to be equally fluid with working vertically, horizontal, vertically and horizontal. It's not a choice, even though it's often set up as a choice. It's a, um, it's a, it's a polarity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's uh, where really there's a lots of overlap in our work. And I, and I, and I appreciate the language is used around polarity. And that's certainly from my background and training in the deep democracy context from Arnold Mandel. That's definitely one of the things that that plays out is it's really noticing these polarities. And so I'm I'm very appreciative of that. And I think there's also an acknowledgement and I've heard you talk about this before too, is that the default in most contexts is that the facilitation is vertical. That there tends to be more vertical facilitation if we were to like, look at you know organizations and things like that that there tends to be more tendency towards that if you get in the activist communities the subculture is all about horizontal facilitation and i think what uh what uh, i also know to be true as well and in, in our work just from experience is that it is the fluidity to meet the group where it needs to go and i think that you 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 describe you break down your book and you say there's basically um you know five uh one, two, three, four, five, six. There's there's like these outer moves and these inner moves. And, and I really like that because I think you put some language around, around what facilitators need to be able to pay attention to that are the external. And, and these are the polarities that you mapped out and you map out you know the tendency towards unity, which is more vertical versus um, the um, uh, pl- being plural and the more horizontal, advocating versus inquiring. Uh, concluding and advancing, mapping and discovering. Like you go through these multiple polarities, you break them down beautifully, I think. But what's what I think is is compelling in the work is that you can't just do this because there's not a formula. And what I hear you talking about is that to know when to shift because it's not like the mushy middle. Like I, we we have to compromise and be in the in the middle that the whole element of what you're talking about is you've got to make a choice, but how do you make that choice? And that's where you talk about inner skills. And well, I use the word inner skills, you talked about inner moves. And 
And so I'd love for you to just expand that a little bit around um, uh, how you know uh, and, and what you're paying attention to. Um, yeah, so um, the, the overall polarity is between the singular group and the plural group, between unity and plurality. Um, and, uh, um, and then I, I uh, give five examples or how that five aspects of that same polarity, whether there's five or eight or four doesn't, I mean, I'm not, uh, I, I chose a round number, uh, five times two is 10, but I, I, I don't, I'm not attached to that part of it. But um, here's what's become a little clearer to me since the book was published. I'm sure you have this feeling that, you know, you send the book to the publisher and then you realize a little while later, there would have been a clearer way to say this. So here's a different way to say it. Um, the, the argument of the book is that in order to be able to facilitate, which remember doesn't mean uh, stand at the front of the room uh, next to a flip chart, it means everything involved in helping a group move forward together, collaborate to affect change, uh, that, uh, that there's, there's only 10 things you need to be able to do, only 10 outer moves. Um, and the challenge, as you said, is unfortunately, there's no recipe to do this, then do this, then do that. I realize an analogy would be uh, if I came into your kitchen and I put on your counter 10 ingredients, a pot of flour, some beef, some eggs, some sugar, some paprika, whatever, some chocolate, and uh, 10 ingredients. And I said, okay, you can actually make anything you want out of these 10 ingredients. It's really, uh, but I can't tell you in what order or what proportions or how to cook them. But if you, so if you're a, a, a lousy cook like me, you would just stare at these ingredients and you might be able to think of how to do one thing. And if you're an expert cook, you'd say, oh, great, these 10 things. Yeah, I can make, I can make so many things with this depending on the situation. So that's a bit the, the, the good news is there's really only 10 or so things you have to do to be able to help a group move forward together. The, <laughs> the, easy, the, the, the not easy part is, yeah, but how do I know when to do what I know by paying attention? And yes, um, that's the, the inner move. And I'm using this in a bit of a, I think in a more ordinary way than some people talk about inner work. I'm saying it's, uh, it really comes down to just paying attention, easier said than done, but just paying attention to what's going on in the group, in the context of the group, in yourself. And the opposite of paying attention is to, get is to be distracted because um, of something else going on in your life or this other project you're thinking about or you're worried about what's going to happen tomorrow or this person reminds you of your father, or, or whatever. And um, the experience I had uh, with this is that uh, I'm a, uh, a jogger, I jog every day, and I live in Montreal, and jogging in Montreal is pretty straightforward. Uh, you go out, there's streets, you, uh, you don't even really have to be paying attention, at least after you've 
gone once or twice, you, you know, and if you're not sure, you can look it up on the map. When the pandemic started, uh, my wife Dorothy and I um, moved to our cottage, which is in the middle of a big, which is next to a big forest. And I started doing my daily run in the forest where there's hundreds of trails which are not marked at all. And it, the first uh, days I went out for a run, I got lost every time uh, because I got, was getting distracted thinking about my book or whatever. And every time I get dis got distracted, I would get lost. So the, the inner shift is to pay attention in order to be able to see the signs in the group, in the context, in yourself of what move do I need to make next? And I don't think it's more much more um, complicated than that, or at least that's what I mean by, an, by, the, by being present, paying attention, not getting distracted. I noticed as a facilitator, when I would sit down with my team before a meeting started and they'd say, how are you? I would always give the same answer. Um, I finished my other work, I'm fine, I'm ready. And I wondered, why do I always say that? Why is that my ritual? And I realized because for me, the key thing is not to be distracted. And this is what's one of the things that's so hard about, harder, at least for me, about facilitating online, is there's so many distractions on your screen, other messages you're getting, et cetera. And so this basic principle, pay attention, well, you're getting less information through these little squares instead of all the senses in, in person. Um, and, and it's so easy to get distracted. Half of the people are on their email. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now I have one more question before I'll, 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 I'll flip it over to you and you can ask, ask some, some questions, but I, but I want to go one more, one more step deeper because this idea of paying attention to what's happening, I think is easier said than done because there's a certain level of practice that's needed. There's a certain level of mindfulness but also an awareness around patterns of what's happening and a sensitivity to what's happening. And you tell a really powerful story about an experience um, in Manitoba when you are working with uh, a group of indigenous leaders. And I think it was around uh, health care and health outcomes. And, and there's a moment in that where you said very early in the process um, that something almost went off the rails. And basically you experienced, um, and there was an accusation or a very bold statement that was made about um, a lack of trust in you and really called into account um, your identity and your behavior um, in that. So can you please talk about that? Because I think that's very illustrative of some of the things that we're talking about that integrate the outer and the inner. Yeah. Um, so uh, maybe it's important to say that almost all the stories in the book are stories of, I think things are one way and they turn out to be another way. And so I wonder what's going on and, and I discover something and that's why it's in the book. So it's not the only story of things going off track. In fact, my experience and maybe the most important idea in the book of all is that um, if you're really helping people collaborate to affect change rather than bossing them about or making sure nothing changes, then uh, things are always going to 
be unexpected and not straightforward. Uh, and so it, it is a particularly dramatic story, which I'll come to in a second, but, but that idea that we thought it would be like this and something different happens and we have to adjust doesn't happen just occasionally. It happens, at least in my experience, almost every day. And uh, so that particular story is from 2017 after I'd been facilitating around the world for 30 years, but it is an important story in what I wanted to say. So although logically it could have come at the front of the book, I wanted it to be the last story in the book. And uh, it's, uh, yes, it's a, uh, I was, my colleagues in Rios and I were co-facilitated with a group of First Nations facilitators from Manitoba, uh, a, a process of over a year relating to the health situation of different First Nations in Manitoba and how it related to provincial and federal uh, health um, uh, programs, etc. And um, the 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 story you're alluding to is um, we started and. Uh, very soon after we started, uh, a community leader named George Moosewagon said, I don't trust you. And, um, and, so, and so that's the situation that, that I and this group of facilitators needed to deal with. And the, the one lesson of that story is uh, I was... Um, taking the role that I was an outsider, somebody with international experience, um, was asked to come and provide a methodology. And he was saying, uh, at least in essence, uh, no, that doesn't work here. We've had far too much experience with um, white experts coming and telling us how they think we should do things. We don't at all consider you to be an outsider. Uh, we consider you very much part of the system we're working with. In fact, in a certain way, the, the representative of, of settler behavior in the room right now. So that's one aspect of it. And I put it at that place in the book because the fifth of the five polarities is when do you stand outside, which is useful as on the balcony, seeing the situation, seeing what can be done about the situation. And when do you stand inside, as part of the system, asking what can I do differently? And that's a polarity. Again, facilitators argue for years, but it's better to be outside or inside. The, that chapter of the book says you need to do both. But there's a more basic lesson of that story, which is that even after 30 years, <laughs> or maybe especially after 30 years, thinking I really had seen it all and I knew at that moment, I wasn't paying attention sufficiently, or actually we, the whole facilitation team, it wasn't just me, were not sufficiently paying attention to, yes, but what is needed right here in this situation, in this context. And so that, in a way, is the more basic uh, lesson, uh, which is almost any time you think you know from some, from some other place or time what's best here, you'll be wrong and you'll trip. Now, um, uh, let me just finish because there are very much your questions I want to ask you. Uh, but uh, I still get distracted or make mistakes of one sort or another very often, like every day. 
Um, and the sign of progress uh, that I see in myself is that things where I would sulk for six months, I only sulk for a month. Or things that would throw me off for two days, I can get back on center in, in an hour. And that is what happened in that case. I, the facilitation team, thought, gosh, this is going completely not what we expected. The whole thing's going to fall apart. And we, we called a break. And in the break, we, actually within 15 minutes, we said, no, no, we have to change everything. Do this, do that, do this, do that. We changed everything. And it worked much better. And uh, so th that's the, some of the different dimensions of that story. Bill, you might be frozen there a little bit. Um, okay. in, the, in the meantime, Adam, I, I noticed there's a, qu a question um, that came through the chat. Somebody okay. said, what did, what did you change? Okay, I know, good question. Um, uh, what we changed uh, was a couple of things. Uh, first of all, um, uh, I stopped talking completely. Uh, and uh, the leadership of the process um, was done entirely by the First Nations member of our team. By the, by the last day, I was, as a bit of a bossy know-it-all, I was quite surprised and pleased that uh, on the last day of the workshop, I didn't say a single word and things went very well. And that was, you know, I picked up coffee cups and uh, brought people snacks. So, uh, and, and, um, uh, played my role from the sideline. So that's one thing we changed. The other thing we changed is um, something that in other situations had, had often been critical, that everybody is treated as equals or the same. So this, is a, this has been a big deal in other contexts. Um, you know, I, I just come from a process we have been doing in Mexico for years. And this idea that you start, everybody in the group has one minute to introduce themselves, whether they're a, a minister in the presidency or a, or a campesino leader. This is a very strong signal in Mexico and it really works well. And we would even use a bell to, uh, to signal that no, uh, everybody's contribution and connection is important here. And, um, so no, it's not true that the most senior person is gonna get an hour and other people are not gonna be allowed to talk at all. Uh, however, so that really worked well in Mexico. It's really not a good idea to cut elders, uh, First Nations elders in Manitoba off by ringing a school bell. Doesn't work at all, don't recommend it. So, uh, the, the, so the other thing we did, uh, sorry, I'm making fun of myself because it was such a stupid thing to do. But um, the, uh, the, the essential thing we did, or the, one of the other things we did is create a, or open up a parallel process for the elders and knowledge keepers and grandmothers who, who wanted to work in their own way and didn't be, want to be part of the horizontal group playing with Post-its and Lego. And so we actually had two processes that came together once or twice a day. And we, these are all interesting from a facilitation point of view. And we ended up spending one or two or three hours every day in ceremony and cutting the quote working time down by half. And it was just as effective. So 
these are, you know, at least in my world, these are three quite big changes, which we made in 15 minutes and things work better. Just for answering that, Adam, I just want to echo the appreciation that's coming from the group for you taking the time to share that with us. Thank you. And I believe we have Shaquille back. Yes, I, I'm unsure exactly what happened, but all of a sudden the entire Wi-Fi in the house shut out. So here I am on my cell phone, everybody. <laughs> okay, I thought you, I, I thought I bored you to bored you. You just sort of dozed <laughs> off in the middle of the conversations. I was a little upset, to be honest. <laughs> Not at all. I was fully, fully engaged, and okay. and, I, and I know the story, and I hear the answer. That and thank you for for helping facilitate Amy um, into that. And and I just I just wanted to point out that you know the what I appreciated in the book was you saying how scared you were, and that you acknowledged yeah. that that you were like because it, it from my training that's a that is a hot spot, and it is a it is a major moment that you can't skip over. And and you know I think the changes that your team team made were really important and you slowed it down and you opened up. And what I love is in the book, you said, so I basically became a bit of a, uh, I became more of a coach in the background and over the days, your role sort of decreased and you're like, and I was doing the supporting uh, cast stuff from the background and supporting the, the indigenous facilitators to move forward. But at the same time, you were like clearing away the dishes and doing, and I, and I just, those are little micro things, yeah. but I think those are those are big signals around power and identity and how yeah. those shifts happen, and that some of those things allowed to build trust. And I guess where I wanted to go is that I think that if there if there's if there's uh, if there was another polarity I would add in there, it would have to do with identity awareness. It would have mm -hmm. to do with um, race and gender and how that might be influencing. Now, fortunately you are nimble enough through your own experience and through your own framework to realize that there's a certain letting go you had to do and following the group, but also a, a shifting of role of your, uh, um, because of your identity, you talk about it that, you know, that you started seeing how much all of a sudden, you know, you described it as, as um, you know, um, am I, uh, uh, you know, part of, or am I outside of? And no. I think I think that standing in that moment, you realize, oh, I am inside because I'm white. I am inside because I'm a settler. I am inside because um, this is how my identity is going to get registered in this space. Yeah. And so, and and so I I just um, I feel like I feel like your you had a nimbleness to drop into that from my from my work and the work of justice. Of, of, of racial justice, social justice work, that would be, um, that would be an implicit and explicitly stated thing is like, how's identity gonna play out here? How's gender gonna play out? How's race gonna play out here? And, and I think, I know you, you, you folks do some of that because um, half of the team were indigenous partners that you had co-facilitating, which was the strength, which supported the, the inner and the outer piece. So I just wanted to kind of name that as, as, as an appreciation. And also if there was another, um, if there was a, 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 an additional polarity, I would say it has to do something with identity and the power dynamics that come with our identities. Yeah. 
Well, thank you. Uh, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't say it was easy, and we had many uh, fights in the joint facilitation team. Uh, I I wouldn't say I figured these things out uh, spontaneously. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. I'm somebody who needs to have things pointed out to me, like. Uh, pretty strongly for me to get it sometimes. Anyhow, that in that situation, that worked. And I want to emphasize that this outside versus inside, in my opinion, is a polarity. There's values of being an outsider and there's values of, there, there's values of standing on, there, there's a value in standing outside uh, and there's a value in recognizing how you're inside. It's like when you're calling home from your car, you can say, I'm in traffic, or you can say, I am traffic. I mean, they're both, they're both relevant. Um, there's a polarity I want to talk with you, at a, with you about, Shaquille, because I, I um, enormously enjoyed your book and learned a lot from it and, and found a lot of uh, points of congruence. But I also found one important difference in emphasis that I want to ask you about. But some of the points of congruence early on when you talk about uh, in the wonderful introduction, I love how self-reflective um, uh, and self-aware uh, your stories are. I think it's uh, it's a wonderful way to write, a wonderful way to to learn. And your emphasis on yes, there all of this is happening outside of me, and I have to choose what am I going to do about it. So the, the, I appreciated those parts very much. And specifically, when you say that the goal of anti-racism, anti-oppression, I'm going to quote because it's such a beautiful sentence, to create a barrier-free society in which, in which all people have the right to freedom and dignity with access to resources and opportunities to help individuals and communities achieve their human potential. I mean, you said that about the, the, the frame you used to come with, but I, I find that a very compelling frame. And when I say that I think the essence of facilitation is enabling equitable contribution and connection, or if you want to put it in fancier words, love, power, and justice, I see it as very congruent with with that sentence. I also love your emphasis on these unconscious aspects, which I don't um, talk about very much, emotional, psychological, neurological, that's new to me. Um, I love this framing of John Powell uh, that we are standing at a moment in history, what in Spanish they call a conjuntura, the, this conjuncture of events where the choice is bridging or breaking. So mm-hmm. all of that I loved. Here's the thing that I, that I was wondering about. I, it, I thought about it a lot as I was preparing for today. You and I are both concerned or noticing uh, us versus them dynamics. and uh, polarization and demonization and violence and the terrible things. It's not just that you have a different perspective than me. I think you're wrong. It's not just that I think you're wrong. I think you're bad. It's not just that I think you're bad. You're the devil. And how could I collaborate with the devil? So that, that quick escalation, Mm -hmm. uh, as you say, uh, there's no limit to how bad uh, that can end up. And you've Mm -hmm. seen it in your, family of origin, uh, as have I, and um, I think we are at a bridging versus breaking. But here's the, here's the difference I notice. Um, 
I've always put at the center of my work the task mm. and had um, work on identity or, or capacity or self-knowing or inner work or relationships be in support of achieving the task. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I found that's very effective, even in the most polarized contexts, even amongst people who have literally had to leave their guns at the door right. uh, uh, when they enter the, the room. Right. That this focus on the task, this thing we're trying to get done, yeah. this... Um, this uh, the action we need to take, this intellectual product we're co-creating, that it's, it's through working together on the task that we learn uh, how to work together and that we, um, very early on when I started this work, I read a, uh, a book by Marvin Weisbord, one of the founders of, um, I think it's called Future Search now. It had a different name then. And he, he writes that, uh, yes, of course, there's always conflict as well as common ground, but his focus is on discovering and enlarging the common ground. And I, fa- I found that very uh, resonant with what I was just starting to do. And I would say, in general, that's where I place the emphasis. But you seem to place the emphasis uh, on, the other, <laughs> on the, the other part of the breath, not the inhaling, but the exhaling, and put the 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 understanding identity understanding the relationship between us as primary and and i'm curious about that how do you think about that that's that's the big polarity i see my book and your book as representing right and so okay so clearly things are happening because um electricity is turning off and on in my house which is why i'm glad i'm attached to this is a very powerful conversation shaquille it's really starting it's, you know to it, my house is actually physically moving as we're talking <laughs> well sometimes these are signals these are micro signals or macro signals that are coming through so i'd like that's a great question and i'd like to start it like this that that some of that has to do with the starting point in our work So the starting point in my work is actually, I'm an educator Hmm. and my job is to help people start seeing things they can't see. So, um, and this is a little bit about one of your, one of your polarities, I think, which is about, um, which is really tied to the unity and pluralism polarity is that, is that, you know, my work and the work around, uh, justice is really trying to bring awareness to the fact that there is in fact injustice Mm. and so much of the injustice that that we're working on isn't the overt that the overt is easier to identify and i would say like in the context that you're working you're working at very overt systems that that are that are at play so i think what the work that um racial and social justice educators are doing are trying to make space for that which is hard to see, that which is hard to um, identify and name patterns that are uh, hard to hard to acknowledge unless you are experiencing them yourselves. Patterns that only become visible when um, 
when we look at data and look at the experience of thousands and thousands of people, and then we look, and then we can ask the questions of, wait a minute, why are women earning less than their male counterparts? Why are indigenous people and people of color systematically undertreated in the healthcare system as compared to their white counterparts? Like, well, so those dynamics around systems is, is, is a different entry point. And what we're attempting to do is that the language of unity has actually suffocated the conversation because it's marginalized differences. Because it's like, well, aren't we overall doing well as a society? Um, haven't we made progress? Which is fine, except for when you disaggregate the data and go, wait a minute, there's a 20, 30, 40, 50% or 100% gap um, between dominant groups and non-dominant groups. So I think some of it is our starting point. And what I want to say is that is that that need to look at unity first hmm. is in itself polarizing because it's right. forcing people whose stories and identities are on the margins to once again have to adapt themselves to what the center wants and that the center is around identity. And so what we're attempting to do, I think in justice work, is to bring a, a identity awareness to the surface. And I'd say that's, that's what really struck me with, with the example is that in essence, um, the indigenous elder was saying, or the indigenous, um, uh, the indigenous person who was speaking, um, who I believe was a chief, I think you'd mentioned, that, yeah. that, that, um, that he, he was in essence speaking to your identity. And, 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 um, and I think that going into that, in essence, you know, many people observing what you've just kind of described would say, yeah, basically the indigenous participants, indigenous leaders um, decolonized the process. And that happened with your support and the support of your team to say, this can be done differently. It doesn't have to be done in the frame that we've shown up with. And so I think identity awareness, our race, our gender, um, our sexual orientation, our disability is an important starting point. It's, a, it's an important starting point because it's the starting point that most often gets lost. It's the, uh, it's the thing that's most often um, um, invisible. And so the work that we do and the community of practice that I'm a part of that really is hosting public conversations is helping host converse, public conversations that allow that understanding to deepen because otherwise it's the, the reaction most often is defensiveness, especially yeah. from my group members. And so there's a part of my book has so many elements of what's happening psychologically inside of us, uh, whether we come from dominant or non-dominant groups, what our life experience is, that, that the more we can um, make visible that which is hidden, the more influence we can have over it. Because in fact, it's, it's often the other way what we can't see has more power. Uh, what is hidden has more influence, but when, when we can identify a pattern, when we can name it, we can also tame it. So that's why a big part of my book is, is just helping people start developing that pattern awareness so that if we walk into situations, somewhere in our mind, we've got the unity part, of course, that we are all moving towards, but how we get there is in fact by um, holding that paradox and having the fluidity to know when identity matters, when it, when it, it can, it can be secondary, but 
especially in, in, in a context like North America, in Canada and the US, where the politics of race have, have really, um, race and identity have really pushed towards the front. We actually, in this context, if you don't lead with that, it's going to create um, uh, unintended consequences and conflict. Whereas when we can start with that point, it often can help relieve the tension that's in the field. And that's the awareness around justice that is at the macro level that may be playing out at the micro level. So it's, it's actually recognizing both things are needed. And there's also a way in which some people can get too attached to that, which is why you also, um, why you also find um, that, uh, that um, uh, call-out culture, cancel culture, the toxicity that can show up in progressive movements, that's the other end of the polarity because people are holding on to identity too tightly. And I, and I love um, uh, the, the framing um, uh, uh, of how do we learn to hold our identities lightly? But in order to hold our identities lightly, we also have to hold them and know mm -hmm. them. And in order to, and then we can be in that dance of holding tightly and loosely, but knowing what each situation needs, whereas as opposed to defaulting unconsciously to unity. Yeah. Now that's uh, beautifully said. And I do think in this respect that um, we're, we're emphasizing two different poles, but we're both realizing that the other pole is needed. Um, um, and that holding on to only one pole, either we're one or we're all the same or we're all different. Um, both statements are true. Somebody once said, I mean, it's like Paris Fashion Week. Every year it's the same. Every year it's different. So we're all the same. We're all different. And we need to move back and forth between those two, not get stuck. And I think you're pointing out an aspect of the, the danger of getting stuck in the pool of unity and sameness, which is unjust, which ends up favoring, by definition, the dominant uh, identity, and that's an aspect of, of, of the vertical approach. The, the, you know you're in a, a vertical situation when people say, yes, that's fine, we hear what you're saying, but can we please come back to what's best for the group as a whole? Could you leave your agenda or your interests at the door? Which I think is an illegitimate and manipulative request. But you're also pointing out that if we only focus on separateness and difference, then we get stuck, we can get stuck in another way. Well, at least in situations where collective action is required. That's right, that's right. And um, so I know we're gonna go in a little bit to, um, to uh, just having um, an opportunity for participants to digest this. We'll do a, a short 10 minute breakout. But what I, what I, wanna, I wanna also talk about this is that, um, a number of times in your book, the, the word uh, bridge builder, peace, peacemaker, peace builder, that, 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 um, that people talked about being described as traitors because they stepped into this bridge building uh, role. And, um, you know, it was your recent interview with 
Juan Manuel Santos that I think was really important where, and I'm gonna read this quote because I think it's really, really powerful. Um, and he, he said, I made war as minister of defense and quite effectively because I was elected president with the highest margin in Colombian history because I was a war hero. And to change from a hawk to a dove is a very traumatic change in, political, uh, in the political arena. And they started calling me a traitor. Mm-hmm. Put this in the context, um, Juan Manuel Santos won the 2016 Nobel Peace Prize for the efforts around uh, uh, um, uh, of, the, of bringing to, to, um, uh, to fruition the peace accord and his, his work. But so this is why these are really important that he was a hawk, which I didn't no. know. Um, and, and so he says, um, and they started calling me a traitor because they had elected me as a war hero. Many people said, well, as a war hero, you're going to finish off your adversaries, your enemies. But the best way to finish off your adversaries, your enemies, is to make peace with them. And then they cease to be your adversary or your enemy. The transition is very difficult to understand in the minds of many people, any different kinds of leadership. Now, I put this out there because, again, this is like the, the, the um, you know, in, in full color and in spotlights because, because of his role. But I want to bring this idea of being a bridge builder and that... Um, to be a peacemaker um, is to recognize the accusation of traitor yeah. may come from your own people. And I think it's, it's one of the drivers around justice work that makes justice work so brittle is because those of us who come from the justice frame can get stuck in that. Um, and, and so I guess I want to just, just open that space up to say that, you know, if we spent step into this role as, as the bridge builder, uh, uh, as, and, and it's a calling. It's not everybody's yeah. calling, nor should it be everybody's yeah. calling. It's those of us are drawn to it. I know it's part of my role. Um, it's part of bringing this uh, a more compassionate, uh, a more non-polarizing approach, one that requires more fluidity. But it does mean that some people from within our own ranks, from our own communities are not going to be very happy with, with the positions we take because in essence, um, conflict, as, as, a, as a dear uh, colleague of mine, uh, Julie Diamond and mentor says, um, um, that, uh, that conflict polarizes and unconsciously forces us to take a side. But when yeah. we take a side, who's left to look after the whole? Yeah. So I guess I'd love, I'd love your thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, um, so I think this vocation of a of a bridger or, uh, you know, and, and what part of our own biographies uh, drew us to this kind of work. But I, um, uh, I posted that interview uh, on the Rios blog uh, yesterday. Um, I'll, I'll put the, the link in the chat later. But uh, it, it was for me a stunning um, experience to interview Juan Manuel Santos. Of course, he has his supporters and his detractors, but it was, if you watch the video also, uh, a most remarkable exchange. But I think he said something even more. uh, So I'd heard him say that before, uh, but uh, at the very end, you'll see something which for me was even sharper, where he talked about that the reality of trying to address that particular conflict 
required pursuing war and peace simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Now, again, this is an extreme mm -hmm. example. He gives the story of actually having, of agreeing to the assassination uh, or the killing of his negotiating counterpart, I mean, not literally during the negotiation, but simultaneous while the negotiation was going on, because that was the explicit agreement between the government and the guerrillas, the FARC guerrillas, that they would, it was not a situation where there was a ceasefire. They were, uh, the deal was we will negotiate for peace as if there's no war and we will pursue the war as if there's no peace negotiation going on. Anyhow, that's a very particular way to deal with a civil war, which I'd never heard of before. But the, I want to, I'm arguing in the, in the introduction I give to this blog that he is pointing out a very uncomfortable thing for collaboration, peace building facilitator types like me, and maybe like you, is that in real life, there is almost always negotiation, peace building on the one hand, and forcing and coercion on the other hand. So it's talk about a, a polarity. That's a, <laughs> that's a big one. So anyway, it is, I mean, it's a particular story. And uh, but I, I found it a, uh, a, it rocked my, my understanding of what's really going on. We're, when we're trying to affect systemic change, um, what is the role of peace and negotiation and dialogue of collaboration on the one hand, which is my vocation, and I think maybe yours as well, educating self people, understanding themselves, reading the system, deciding what to do, and what is the role of of pushing and protesting and forcing and in this most extreme of settings, assassination. So it's, uh, it's an interesting, <laughs> it was an interesting interview. Oh, I, I have to say even, even that, like that is so outside the realm. I hadn't gotten to that part of the interview. Um, and what I would say is that uh, even bringing that word into the space that these are choices that people make um, you know, it jolts me. Like I feel jolted in my system and, and, um, like that's a level of landscape that I am not attuned or connected to. Like that's, so it's, it's so jarring because it's, um, I can see, I can see the micro elements of what he's saying. Uh, um, but when you go to that macro level and those kind of decisions, like I'm, I'm, uh, I think my body's going to take some time to need to recover from that because, because that's not inside my frame. And as a, as someone who's a, 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 a peacemaker, a peace builder, a facilitator, uh, that perhaps is my naive view of the world, but I know that that's, that's outside my scope, you know, and clearly a military man and, you know, someone who's able to speak more freely about that, but that's, that's not something that I feel free to, step into because it's not in my in my landscape i think i need need to take some breaths to recover from it um but thanks um thanks for the for the observation i i wanted to i wanted to like just put out there that i think that that there is something in this that it has to it is a vocation for people to step into because it's hot you're we're embracing heat but that means we're embracing heat from many sides and, and that's part of the challenge of this work. And, and fundamentally, can we hold the heat? And I've learned over time that my ability to hold 
the heat in the group has uh, everything to do with my ability to um, do the inner work and and have more capacity within me. Like I, I would say that, for example, I have a very fraught relationship with anger. Anger is not something I, I, I was often allowed to touch publicly, only confined for family. And so people who could own their their clarity and even assertiveness, I couldn't tell, everything looked angry to me. Mm. And so what I would say is that it's taken a lot of inner work to recognize my own relationship to anger and be able to work with that more. And that as I've learned to do that, people who are assertive relieve me now because I'm like, oh, I don't have to do that. Like I can be empathetic and I can be a little more um, indirect, but now I find more relief. And so it's inner work. And what I would say is that this is, this is what I mean is that, that our capacity as facilitators, as educators, as, as trainers, as leaders, what we can do internally um, allows us to also then have more capacity and fluidity and ability and responsiveness externally. So um, Adam, what do you think? Should we pause here for a bit and give people some time to digest and, we'll, and then we'll come back for some final Q and A? Yes, please. Welcome back, welcome back. Um, so uh, if you had a chance to really, we know you, you wouldn't have gotten very far in your groups, but after hearing you know, people speak for a while, we always just know it's, time, it's better to be in a small group and do some digesting and see what happens. So what we'd love to do is one, um, um, put, please put something in the chat. What, um, what was an insight? What was an aha? What was helpful? So if you could put that into, into chat, and let's just see what's what's coming up for folks. And I'm going to count on my team to just because uh, I'm off my phone. And so I'm not getting a very good view of what's coming through on the chat. If if folks can just start summarizing what we're starting to see, what's coming through the chat. Yeah. So there's um, a piece about how to call in rather than call out. That's right. Um, paying attention means that you can be flexible in the moment uh, and know how to know to be open or doing what needs to be done. Um, someone's remarking about no clear boundaries in the process. Putting the project at center sounds good, but I find it seductive in terms of bypassing around identity and power issues. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, also sure. fluidity between polarities takes inner skills of awareness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, and what questions do you have? We'd love to hear, and it can be a comment or a question um, while we've still got, we've got another five minutes or so. I know that's not lots of time, but if there's any questions that have come up, we'd love to hear. Um, and, and Adam and I are, are happy to take a moment to try to respond to at least one or two questions. So Amy, again, if you can, if you can give us a couple of questions that come up, um, that would be great. And if there's not questions and there's just even comments, we're happy to hear from people too. Absolutely. I've also got a couple questions from before. So if nothing comes Great. up on discussion, we can go there. Great. Here's a question from Amir. Uh, how, how, um, sorry, what would be a challenge or case you would like to work on together? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I will say that's the second time somebody 
has mentioned, oh, are, are you doing a, a, um, a book club together? Did I make that up? So I'm, I'm hearing there's calls for you to work together further. Ah, Adam, you hearing this? Yeah, well, I'm also enjoying seeing half the people I follow on Twitter uh, on this chat. So that's fun. Uh, yeah, we could do like a show like, did you ever listen to Click and Clack, these, these people that did this Boston uh, auto repair talk show? Could be kind of the, the social justice version of click and clack. That'd be that'd be great. Yeah, um, we haven't talked about it, but I I always I also think about, you know, um, we've done a project in the last uh, over the last number of years in Toronto. We've been developing a community of practice, um, and people coming from all over, but lots based here um, in the region. Uh, and it's really about how to host um, public di dialogues on race and identity. And, and we've held a number of these um, in different contexts as, as we're learning. Uh, we've done it with inside organizations, we've done it um, with, uh, with student groups at university and things like that. And they've been all extremely insightful. And what I've always sort of imagined is when we are doing public dialogue, how can we use it to help, um, to help intervene on the highly polarized context that we are in? And so, um, you know, one of the things I've always uh, wanted to do is connect with you, Adam, to kind of say, hey, Adam, we're doing these, this work and it'd be really great to get your insights as to what, what, what we could possibly do to continue building this. Because, you know, like, um, like many people, um, you know, I'm extremely concerned about the level of polarization in the context of the U.S. And the U.S., because the reverberations of what happens in that context rolls out everywhere. I mean, we're seeing higher levels of hate crime in Canada. We're seeing attacks on politicians, um, you know, during the last election, just, you know, just, you know, in the last month or two, like these are things that are escalating. And so, you know, maybe a, a, a closing thought would be, um, you know, would be related to that issue, Adam, is that, you know, there is a sense of, you know, yes, there's a new president, um, and a new vice president with Biden-Harris, uh, but the conditions haven't fundamentally changed in the U.S. And so the conditions for polarization, well, we can see from the Republican Party, it's only increased. And so, and so um, I know you and I briefly touched about it, and I think you talked about something that was, that was hopeful, because I was like, Adam, is it just inevitable? Because right now, nobody's wanting to collaborate. Do we have to be on the other side of conflict? Uh, for collaboration to, to, for people to start going, whoa, we really need to start collaborating because it's all going to fall apart. Um, or the threat is, the existential threat becomes clear to everybody. Um, and so I look at that situation and we had an interesting conversation. I think it's worth you sort of reframing um, uh, some of that because I was like, Adam, is this, does it have to go to hell in a handbasket before we get people to collaborate? And I think you gave an interesting response about inevitability and maybe perhaps oh. not. Um, well, I'm as concerned about the situation in the US and Canada and COP26 as anybody. So I'm not, um, uh, I, I'm not saying I think everything's fine. Um, and at the same time, um, I think this this fatalistic idea that, oh, it's, there's just nothing that could happen other than collapse and civil war is just not correct. And there are 
many people, thousands of people, millions of people who are in their different ways trying to create a different future, including in our, in our little ways, uh, you and me. And the, I think the example I spoke about was work we've been doing um, uh, in the US, which is bringing together a diverse group of pro-democracy activists to understand better the battleground and the choices and the strategies. And, and that's what's required. Um, anyhow, let me not say more about that in light of the time, but I do wanna say something about this conversation. Uh, and maybe this can be my closing thought. I've been, um, and it relates to something in the chat, not the suggestions about what we should call our show facilitators in cars getting coffee, which I think is an excellent idea. If you could grab that URL, Amy, before, before somebody else does, that would be good. But the point I'd like to make is that, um, uh, if I can remember now, uh, what it is? Oh yes. So, um, I uh, um, I learn from difference. Maybe not everybody does. There's different ways to learn. But I, uh, if you look at my book, you'll see almost all the ahas, at least for me, were when I confront something that's different and I go, "What's that about? I wonder what I'm missing." And I found that in this conversation as well, Shaquille, for which I want to thank you. I've got lots of notes, uh, but the um, the the difference in emphasis and framing and starting point and focus uh, between your work and mine has been very educational for me. So I'm thanking you, but I'm also saying that's for me a very practical example of how difference can uh, uh, can enable um, better understanding and and progress and uh, and breakthrough. So thank you for this experience of facilitating breakthrough. Wonderful. Well, Adam, thank you so much for, for being here. I know we didn't get to all, all the hands and all the, all the comments. Um, uh, Mirangis, uh, Monsef, I see your hand. Uh, if you do have a comment, I'd love to invite you to stay for a couple minutes afterwards and, and I'm happy to respond if that's, if that's something we can do in a short time. Um, but I wanna thank you, Adam, for coming. It's been a really rich conversation. And folks, uh, again, um, uh, Adam's book is is out, uh, um, and uh, and what I'd love to do is we're going to put. Can we put the uh, uh, Amy? Can we make sure that those are in the actual um, links for Adam's new book as well as my new book? Yeah. And, and I just really appreciate your your you taking time here, Adam. And I've got a busy schedule, but really helpful for for me to be in this conversation with you really rich and love your work and also um, um, thank you uh, to our community for coming and uh, I know we still got some folks on but we had uh, we had quite a number of people on here today um, and uh, and I hope you've got something useful out of it too thanks for coming back and um, uh, if there are a few people that want to stick around because they've got a couple of comments feel free to but at this point I'm going to draw it formally to a close to thank everybody and wish you a great rest of your day. Amy, did I forget anything? Um, just want to remind folks to uh, check out Animal Leadership website and sign up for Anti-Black Racism and Decoding Race for White Leaders. They're both phenomenal courses that support this work. Um, and we'll drop the links to all of Adam and Shaquille's great work um, in an e follow-up email as well as uh, on our website when we post this as a podcast.
Great. Thanks. And that should probably be out in about a week or so, which is usually about how long it takes us to do it. So thanks. Thanks, everybody. If you want to hang Thank out. Thank you the all. End, Bye-bye. Thanks, Adam. Thank you so much for listening today. Our next episode will be available soon.